It's time for Off the Clock with Dean Kucher, the only podcast that brings you business brawn conversations with phenomenal guests, as well as the kind of fun and games that you have come to expect from the Off the Clock events in our Swigert Hall home. Join host Dr. Gene Kucher each month as he connects with three guests about topics of interest in business that complement what's happening in the classroom and in the field. Now get ready for Off the Clock with Dean Kucher, brought to you by the Norm Brodsky College of Business at Ryder University, right here on 1077 The Bronx, the 2023 winner of the IBS Media Award for Best College Radio Station of the Year. Welcome to the Off the Clock Podcast with me, Dean Gene Kucher. I am recording this deep into the first week of fall classes, and this is the second of our two-part episode series where we ask Brodsky College faculty members, what did you do over your summer break? Yeah, we're talking about the summer, but it's really an illustration of just how fascinating and diverse the faculty experience is it. When they are not in the classroom, they are engaged participants and experts in their academic disciplines, and they are involved in some interesting and creative work. On this episode, we talk to Marjo Riley Allen of Accounting, Josh Shen of Information Systems, and Off the Clock's own Charles Ray to find out what's been keeping them busy. Our first guest is Dr. Marge O'Reilly Allen, Associate Professor in the Accounting Department and Director of the Accounting Co-op and Internship Programs. Last May, Dr. O'Reilly Allen was made an honorary inductee into the Norm Brodsky College of Business Hall of Fame to commemorate her years of service as a faculty member and chair of the accounting department. In her 25 plus years of teaching at Ryder, she has taught extensively in both the undergraduate and master of accountancy programs. As she will discuss in greater detail, Dr. O'Reilly Allen's summer of 2023 started off with leading a popular three-week short-term study tour to Ireland called the Business of Sports for the fifth time. And it ended with research into sustainability reporting for corporations, research that she will share with business faculty and bring into the classes she teaches. Here's my interview with Dr. Marge O'Reilly Allen. I'm here with Dr. Marge O'Reilly Allen. Marge, it's a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me on your podcast, especially to talk about what I did over summer break. That's right. And I know that uh, you started the summer with a very exciting adventure. You teach a travel course. This is our Ireland trip that's become really popular here in the Brodsky College. Can we go back to how this trip started and let us know how uh, what the origin story of the Big Ireland trip is? Sure. So the trip came about because Ryder offers full semester study abroad programs and many eight to 10 day short term study tours. But a number of us who led um, study tours thought it would add to our portfolio if we had an experience where students could um, have the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. So we decided to come up with a hybrid um, experience similar to spending the semester abroad. So the International Business Committee decided the business of sports would be a great experience for our students and a valuable um, opportunity. So yeah, that that was how it started. We said, this was a great idea. Let's see what we can develop. And the study tours, the short-term study tours to Ireland have always been popular with our students. And since we had been there many times, we already had connections. It was an easy start, to be honest. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about um, because it's, it seems like a natural fit for the business of sports, especially, and Ireland as a location. Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of experiences that they, that they have there, that you all have there in Ireland? Yeah. 
I think this trip is um, a special experience for a couple of reasons. First, we spend three weeks living together communally in a large manor house, which simulates dorm lives. And many of our students on the tour commuters, or they just transferred to Ryder. So this is a great opportunity to connect with other students and with the faculty leading the study tour. The area in which we stay is on the west coast of Ireland, and it's part of what is known as the Wild Atlantic Way. Okay. And coincidentally, just as we were developing the study tour, National Geographic named it the coolest place on the planet in oh, 2017. That's yeah. quite a quite an accomplishment. That's a big testimonial for, for it for is. The and it was a great marketing intro for the sure. course. Yeah. So not only are the students learning about um, sports at a country sports, it's a lens to their culture. Right. And. On the trip, we meet with managers of large organizations, many entrepreneurs, and we learn about their specific sport, how it's marketed, who the clients are, how they are funded, opportunities and challenges in their business. And lastly, we experience the sport. So the range of activities typically include surfing, kayaking, golf on a lynx course. If you're a golfer, you know that's very cool. Horseback riding, deep sea fishing, cycling, Irish football, to name a few. And just to go back to surfing, I'd like yeah. to point out, who knew this? Ireland is one of the surf capitals of Europe. Oh, I didn't know that. See, students love it, love it. And then there, if I could tell you about a few highlights yeah. of this year's trip. Please, yeah. Yeah, one of our favorite things was the deep sea fishing experience. Now you might think, well, that doesn't sound like that much fun, but we met with the owner of a luxury deep sea fishing and sightseeing company. And we first heard about the European fishing rights. And Ireland has extremely limited fishing rights. So the fishing industry had to develop other ways to stay in business. Mm -hmm. And needless to say, the fishermen were not too happy about not getting the fishing rights. Yeah. Um, but life goes on. So one thing they came up with was tourist excursions. And they do that very well. So we got to experience that. We went deep sea fishing. And the captain showed everyone on his radar the perfect spot to catch fish. So uh -huh. we tried a few times where there were no fish. Then uh -huh. we went to the right spot. Every single student caught about three to four fish. They were coming fast and furious. And after much um, picture taking, the captain showed us how to clean and fillet the fish. And we had a full cooler of fish. We took back to the house and we grilled them for dinner. Oh, wow. Fun. That is quite a highlight. That sounds it amazing. Is. And we stayed within the European guidelines. We only caught certain kinds of fish that we were permitted to do. So everybody just had so much fun. And we were so amazed with ourselves, fish flying, kids hanging, <laughs> holding their fish up for pictures. Um, yeah. Mark, is, it, is it a lot of the same excursions just because it is an annual trip? Is it a lot of the same excursions that have become so popular or are there different ones each time you go? There are our tried and trues, and then we add some each time. But the, the main activities stay because students pass that information on to each other. But right. every year, things have changed. The economy, um, social media, marketing, what is popular, what isn't, competition. And the students love hearing from the business owners and entrepreneurs. How do you make your business? How do you deal with this? What's your passion? And when the students come back, they they not only do they have new sense of confidence so like i never knew there was a career in this or right. that or the other thing or how do i get funding um you know it it's just opens their eyes to so many things yeah no, no, no I, fun. 
I think I can hear it in your voice. So I think I know the answer to this, but what keeps you going back every year? And you're the instructor on this each year. I keep going back because I love the connections we get to build faculty to student, but also the connection student to student and just spending three weeks with them. So during the day, we're always doing activities. Like I just mentioned, meeting with business owners. Then in the evening, they have their free time and they really enjoy that. But we're always there for them. We're in the background, you know, um, if you need something. So just spending that time with them and watching them develop their independence and, oh, I can do this, you know. Yeah, overcoming that, some apprehension about traveling, you know. Yeah, that's um, one that must be so much fun for you. It is fun. Yeah. It is fun. And I love Ireland. I love all the places I've been. I've led study tours to many different places, but I love Ireland because my roots are there. I enjoy showing them the things I'm really proud of. And that's why I keep going on that study tour. Yeah, like I said, it's so popular. So um, thank you for doing it. I'm sure so many students have gotten so much out of that that dedication from you. Now, I know, you know, we're almost over here and we've talked about just what, your first three weeks of your summer. But just real quickly, because I know that we're going to touch on this on a future episode. I also know you've been working on a special project. Can you just give us like a maybe a sentence or two about what that is? Yeah, sure. I've been working on business sustainability, which isn't a new topic. It began as the triple bottom line, and it's evolved to what's called environmental, social, and governance, ESG. And it's a key issue in business because right now the main focus is environmental issues um, and business risk associated with climate change. So climate change is critical. Um, Investors want to know about risk in a business And if your business can't operate due to floods, tornadoes, tsunamis, deforestation, pollution issues, it affects your ability to do what you're in business to do, your revenues, your profit. So businesses are very much focused on this, not to mention the Securities Exchange Commission is coming out with regulation any day, um, requiring companies to report on environmental issues. So I started... um, my interest in that course started, I was teaching an honors course on sustainability. And I realized the more we taught, the more I taught, the more there was to look into. So Dr. Cindy Newman and I applied for a Davis fellowship. We received one for this summer and we researched various aspects and we're happy to share that with the faculty and students. Yeah, this is going to be a big part of the life of our college going forward and in business in general. So I thank you, Marge, for all you do in the classroom, around the country, and on important topics like this. And thanks for being on the podcast this episode. You're welcome. Okay, thanks. And we'll be right back with the Off the Clock podcast, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. And we're back with Off the Clock with Dean Kuchik here on 1077 The Bronx, the 2023 winner of the IBS Media Award for Best College Radio Station of the Year. Our next guest is Dr. Jia Shen, a professor in the Department of Information Systems, Analytics, and Supply Chain Management. She teaches courses such as CIS 385, Management Information Systems, and CIS 325, User Experience Design. Dr. Shen was formerly the chair of the Information Systems Analytics and Supply Chain Management Department from 2015 to 2021, and she continues as co-chair of the Information Systems Advisory Council. Last year, Shen co-edited a special issue of the scholarly journal AIS Transactions on Human-Computer Interaction. I am happy to sit down with Dr. Jia Shen today to hear about her recent sabbatical and her scholarship related to technology and mindfulness. 
Dr. Jashen, you and I have been longtime colleagues. This is the first time that we're recording our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the Off the Clock podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jean. So let's dive right in. Um, you know, we're talking about what faculty do when they're not in the classroom. You are a very productive researcher. What I'd like for you to do is if you could summarize for us the main topics, the main questions of what you address with your scholarships. Yes. So for the past two, three years, my research has been on a topic of what's called digital well-being. It's about the design of digital technology to support human flourishing. If we go one step back, well-being refers to optimum human functioning or human flourishing, and it has its roots in psychology. Uh, it's a very much multidisciplinary area. Uh, well-being is often seen as the state of feeling healthy and happy, achieving one's full potentials, living a meaningful and fulfilling life. So in my study, I focused on how can we design technology to support our human pursuit uh, of healthy, happy, meaningful, purposeful life. And I've looked at this question from different angles through my different projects in the past two or three years. Now, I love this idea that uh, and it's, that it's bringing technology together with something that's so important for human beings. Can you talk a little bit about maybe one project that has kept you particularly busy? Just a little bit more detail about the questions you were asking or how you're going about studying this interface of well-being and technology. Yes. So I would like to talk about my most recent uh, project that I did in, during my sabbatical in the spring semester. Uh, in this study, we look at the effect of a unique technology use policy on teenagers and preteens in China. It's known as youth mode, so technology for young people. Um, this policy restrict things like apps usage, when they can look at things, how long they can use the apps for. And increasingly, it has become very strict over the years. The government, in particularly in 2021, implemented something called anti-addiction policy, which restrict a whole slew of apps, you know, programs, social networking, uh, websites that they can look at and be engaged in. And I find this a particularly unique opportunity for research to ask questions like, under what conditions does the policy work? Under what conditions does the policy contribute to the teenager's well-being? Uh, so, and when and why does this policy work? So that's when I reached out to my collaborator in China and we had this spring project where we basically, I advised graduate students and we conducted a empirical study, uh, reach out to teenagers, preteens and ask about the experience. We use a method called experience sampling. So we sample their experience during the day multiple times to try to capture the in the moment experience of their you know, interaction with digital technology. And basically what uh, we were most curious about was their uh, psychological response right, to the restrictions, whether they view these restrictions as challenging or threatening. That is what we found a, a very important mediator, uh, a factor that affects their response to, to these restrictions that lead to different effects on well-being. So um, from from that, are there what are some like a, or it's a practical conclusion, whether it's to the teens themselves or parents or marketing to them? What's like maybe a conclusion to take away from that study that you think is one of the main takeaways? Yes. 
So what we found was that when teenagers perceive the um, restrictions as po as positive and challenging, mm -hmm. that leads to better engagement with everyday life activities that and lead to well-being. On the other hand, when they perceive these restrictions as threatening and negative, their guards, you know, start to to set up and that leads to self-regulation depletion and less well-being. Uh, in addition, we also looked at what we call the moderator variables, in particularly mindfulness, self-leadership, and life goals. But my particular interest was in mindfulness. And what we found was a strong uh, relationship correlation between being mindful and perceiving these policies restrictions as positive and challenging as opposed to negative and threatening okay so that has you know implications for policies for parents schools and the teens themselves in terms mm -hmm. of instead of you know perceive these as negative and threatening how can they embrace and take advantage you know of these policies and better plan their time and life around these uh, policies and make the most of, of them Wonderful. Yeah, that's so interesting. Now you mentioned sabbatical. So this is a full research leave that faculty can take when they're this engaged in research. And of course, coming off of the summer months, you've had some focused time to see these projects for, through to fruition. Can you just comment on how important that focused time is for a researcher like yourself? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm so grateful that I got this uh, sabbatical research leave. It allowed me time to delve into the reading and writing that I always wanted to do, but never had enough time to do so. Uh, so I read a, a variety of books because it's such an interdisciplinary area. I've always been interested in psychology, although my background was in computer science, information yeah. systems. So it allowed me to explore that area. I'm glad I have a blog post that was just published uh, last month, uh, and it was my first blog, and uh, really happy that I was able to put together my thoughts uh, into this piece and have it published. It also allowed me certainly to reach out to my research network. I have collaborators in the States, um, in Europe, also in China. Uh, and I basically held regular uh, research meetings uh, on Zoom in order to carry out this particular study that I mentioned. Without the sabbatical, this allocated time, I won't be able to do that. I also took the time to attend some of the research seminars and events in our uh, area. Princeton has a, a cognitive psychology, cognitive science program that I uh, very interested in and attended a series of seminars from you know, neuroscience and a variety of, of um, scholars. And NJIT, for example, has a women in computing event uh, in the spring, which attended and the topic was on AI. So again, the sabbatical allowed me the time um, to indulge in, in my own curiosity and explore all these topics in more depth. Now, speaking of mindfulness, um, can you give us an example how, you know, you're entering, we're starting a new academic year, you're about to be teaching a new group of students, trying to fit research and teaching all together. How is, what's one way that you plan to remain mindful just as a professional going about her life? Yes. So I don't claim to be an expert in mindfulness. If you ask my family members, they would certainly disagree <laughs> with that. But I do think mindfulness is in everyday practice. So what I've been trying to do uh, as a goal for myself is to meditate for as long as you know, 20 minutes a, a time for three times a week. 
I'm not aiming for perfection, right? As long as I hit three times, I'm like achieving my goal. Uh, if I have time for a second piece of advice is some type of reflection that I write at the end of the day, very briefly keep a gratitude journal. What are the three things that I'm grateful for? So today, most likely it's gonna be that we had this chance to talk, Gene and I, and giving me this opportunity, yep. I love it. I love it. And then I'm also hearing for students that are listening about remaining mindful and incorporating technology. And anything else you would add in addition to trying to keep those experiences positive and challenging? Well, for students, um, as best as they can incorporate the things that I just mentioned, you know, have some quiet time to yourself. So allow this space, whether you write in the journal or reflect at the end of the day, to look inward, you know, what makes you happy? Are you achieving your own goals in whatever form? So try to block out a little bit of time for yourself to look inward as opposed to constantly seeking information. This is plenty of distractions, especially with the use of digital device. So some time to look inward as opposed to Outward. Outward. That's a great piece of advice. Dr. Shen, we're going to hear a lot more from you soon. I'll give details about that later. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much, Eugene. And we'll be right back with the Off the Clock podcast, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. And we're back with Off the Clock with Dean Kuchik here on 1077 The Bronx, the 2023 winner of the IBS Media Award for Best College Radio Station of the Year. Today's final guest, Professor Charles Ray, J.D., is already known to all as the MC for the Off the Clock podcast and live event. Ray joined the Legal Studies faculty in the Norm Brodsky College of Business in 2019, where he teaches undergraduate courses such as the Legal and Ethical Environment of Business and Trial Advocacy, as well as the graduate course Legal and Ethical Aspects of Management to our MBA students. He was a winner of Ryder's Distinguished Teaching Award in 2021. Ray is the faculty advisor to Ryder's award-winning mock trial team, and he is also the mentor for our Educational Opportunity Program. As an attorney, Professor Ray's legal experience includes practicing in the areas of criminal defense, workers' compensation, contract law, family law, small business legal issues, and real estate. Here's our interview with Charles Ray. Professor Charles Ray, this is a treat for me because you're a member here of the Off the Clock family, of course, but this is the first time I think that we've done an interview as a segment for the podcast. So welcome in this capacity on the episode. Thank you for having me, Gene. It does feel a little bit weird because I'm so used to being on your side of the microphone. So yes, this is uh, going to be fun. Yeah, it is. It is. And you know that throughout this series we're doing right now, we're talking with faculty here in the Brodsky College. And we want to learn a little bit more about what they do when they're not in front of the classroom, when they're not teaching students. And I should tell the listeners that we are recording this over the summer break between our fall and our spring semester. So Professor Ray, maybe what we where we can start is what have you been doing over your summer break? All right. Well, as you know, Gene, I'm a licensed attorney here in the state of New Jersey. And so when I'm not in front of students teaching classes, I'm actually practicing law, whether that's actually in my office or in the courtrooms or now in the Zoom rooms or the virtual courtrooms, which is brand new post-pandemic. I'm practicing law, typically representing individuals in a whole series of matters from small business matters, contract matters, uh, criminal litigation, some family law matters. So there's a wide array of areas in which I practice law. And when I'm not in front of students, 
that's typically where you can find me in court or in the law office. Yeah, so interesting. So tell us a little bit, if you can, like going back, you know, your career right now blends teaching, and I know how passionate you are about teaching and the law and practice, and I know how expert you are in that. So how did that, the duality of this career come about for you? When did you decide that when I practice, I'm going to want to make sure that I'm still teaching at the same time? Or, you know, how did how did that come about? How did this balance start for you? That's an excellent question. Believe it or not, it started from day one. Once I became licensed to practice law in the state of New Jersey, and I began to disseminate my resume around to various law firms looking for employment, as part of my actual interview process, I would make it known that I had dual ambitions. One was to practice law and the other was to teach. And any employer who would offer me a job, I would let them know that I will also be simultaneously doing adjunct work, ideally while holding down this job. Mm -hmm. And some employers were not interested in sharing a new associate. So they said, unless you can commit to the full-time practice of law, then maybe this isn't the best fit for you. So I had a relatively difficult time finding someone or a law firm that would ultimately hire me and allow me to practice law and to teach. I found one. That's the office I'm still with now. It's almost been 10 years working for the law office of Kaczynski and Rotundo in Flemington, New Jersey, and they were the only ones who allowed me to both practice law while simultaneously teaching. Now, do you have, say, some law professors from law school that made an impact on you? Was that part of where the, the passion for teaching was born? Absolutely. I had several law professors that really inspired me to take my interests in law and turn it into a career as a teacher. Uh, but believe it or not, for me, my original inspiration for wanting to become a teacher was my sixth grade teacher, Ms. Petikoff. And the profound impact that she had on my life at the time, really showing me, impressing upon me that teaching was something that could change someone's life yeah. and change someone's outlook on life. And so I carried that through my latter years of education, and certainly it culminated with me finally entering law school and really seeing how very expert someone could be in both the practice of law and then port over that knowledge and use it to teach students. Can you talk a little bit about how you think that your work in the practice influences your performance in the classroom? Absolutely. I think that practicing law while teaching law gives me the best blend, the best balance of both the practical side of law and then the theoretical side of law. Let me explain. So in the classroom, we teach really the bright line rules of law. We open up our textbook. We see what our textbooks try to impress upon us by way of lessons in each chapter. And we augment that information as professors with our own personal experiences, mm -hmm. personal slash professional experiences, I should say. And so by practicing law presently or contemporaneously with teaching law, I can always augment something that's in the textbook with a personal story or a personal anecdote of something that I've seen take place with that specific law that we're learning about in the textbook. 
you know, I think that the um, it's natural to the first question that I asked you about what you do in your practice that makes your teaching better is kind of the the first thought. But I was also wondering about the flip side of that. Do you think that being a teacher, do you think that teaching students helps you in your uh, in your other life, in your practice? Absolutely. And I have a case in point that I just experienced last week. So I had to make a court appearance in North Jersey. And in this particular uh, case, there was a really, really complex legal issue before the court, something called post-conviction relief, which is basically something that someone who was convicted of a crime yeah. would file with the court saying that something in the past happened incorrectly. And as a result of that happenstance, this person, this defendant is now entitled to have that decision set aside so that they can either have a new case or a new trial or to just have the conviction altogether tossed out. So I actually had a application that I was arguing before the court. And it was funny because when I walked into the courtroom, mm -hmm. It's a feel, it's a packed courtroom. The judge is there, my client is there. And there is a bit of nerves. There is a bit of angst that attends that moment. Sure. And I knew that I was about to have to present an argument that was going to take some explaining before we ultimately were able to get the result that I was looking for. In my mind, as I made my introductory appearance before the court, I just imagined that I was in the classroom. Uh -huh. And that everyone there was there in the same way that my students are present, which is interested and anticipating me to teach them something. Yeah. And so I approached that application as a teacher would, and ultimately we were successful. So yes, I do believe that teaching definitely helps build my ability to practice law. Good. I love that. I love that. And Charles, we also like to recognize that all of our faculty, this is kind of a side benefit of this series, uh, is that we're all multifaceted human beings. We all have some non-work related interests and hobbies that others might find interesting. And we can understand what makes it tick a little bit more. Can you tell us one more thing that maybe you're you're doing this summer that either refreshes you, recharges you, brings you some happiness or uh, anything in that realm? So I'm really into fitness. And this past weekend, I actually was able to get together with a student who I mentor at Bridal University and take them on a ride around Mercer County Park. And we did so on my favorite vehicles to ride on, which are little three-wheel bikes called Me Movers. And so it was the student's first time ever doing it. I love, you know, me moving. And so... Yes, I love to do anything that gets me outdoors and really challenges my cardiovascular system, whether it's hiking, walking, running, biking, triking, or me moving. I do all of the above. And just this past weekend, I was able to do it with uh, a student of mine uh, slash student that I mentee through the EOP program here at Ryder. Love it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, we know you a little bit. And there's a little bit more time of the summer left at least at the time of recording this, if not anyone listening to it, for you to me move and all of the other things. So thanks so much for being part of this interview. Like I started with, it's nice to it's nice to interview uh, you here as a guest on Off the Clock. Thanks for doing that, Charles. Thank you for having me, Gene.
And we'll be right back with the Off the Clock Podcast, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back to Off the Clock. I am joined now by Charles Ray and our guests, Dr. Marjorie Riley Allen and Dr. Jashen, Shen, and members of our Off the Clock team. Thank you all for being here for my favorite part of the episode called Game Time. Cause I, 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 been waiting all night. It's game time. Now, Charles. You were one of our guests on this episode, and we also get lost when you're not steering the ship for game time. So we're taking you out to play your normal role of announcer. So this is just a head-to-head competition between Ja and Marge. All right, Gene, that sounds good to me. Now, let me remind everyone listening, our guests here today are each playing game time on behalf of a new business bronc. What is the name of your first-year writer student, Ja? His name is Max Manlo Larchi. All right, and March, please tell us who you're playing for. I'm playing for Olivia Schlosky. So Olivia and Max now have something on the line. Let's get started with the game. Thank you, contestants. As usual, we have two fun games that we'll play. And on this episode, we're bringing back two games from the Off the Clock archives. First, in honor of Dr. O'Reilly Allen's recent trip to Ireland, we're reciting some brand new Off the Clock limericks. All right, each of you will be read a limerick related to some current events at the intersection of business and pop culture. We will leave out the last word of that limerick, but you know that limericks follow a basic rhyme scheme that goes A-A-B-B-A. A right answer in this game will earn you three points. Are you guys ready to go? Marge, yeah. I believe you're up first. I am. Her concerts are not for the thrifty and her business sense is rather nifty. This pop music queen will be on the big screen, and you'd know that if you were a... Swifty. You got it. Taylor Swift fans are known as Swifties, and this music icon made news recently when she announced that her Eras tour was being filmed for direct release to movie theaters. In fact, AMC is already boasting first-day pre-sale ticket numbers in the high $20 million. I personally dedicate this question to Rachel Everett, which is a student I just, she's a student I just attended Oxford with, and she knew everything about Taylor Swift. So this question goes out to her. All right. So Ja, you're up next. My lawyer should take my call. I don't like this whopper at all. Compared to that sign, it's nothing like mine. My flame-grilled beef patties to... No idea, sorry. It's too small. It's too small. Burger King is facing a class action lawsuit that argues that it depicts its Whopper hamburgers on its in-store menu boards as much larger than they actually are. According to NBC News, customers in the proposed class action suit accused Burger King of portraying burgers with ingredients that, quote, overflow over the bun making it appear the burgers are 35% larger and contain more than double the meat than the chain serves. Charles, what do you think about this one as our resident lawyer? I actually think it's a pretty interesting case because if you notice certain things when they appear on advertisements, there'll be an actual notation that says enhanced to show texture or enhanced to show flavor. So it really would be interesting to see which way the court goes on this one, particularly if there's no qualifier in those advertisements. 
Thank you. Thank you for your professional opinion. My professional opinion tells you that we have a contest here with three to zero in favor of Dr. O'Reilly Allen at the moment, but it's still anyone's game because there's a round two. For our second battle, we return to a game that we call Weird Science. With this game, we recognize that almost anything can be worth studying academically. Charles, please tell us more. So one need only look to the Ig Nobel Prizes, which is a parody of the Nobel Prizes, awarded each year for research achievements that first make people laugh and then make them think. Contestants, each of you will hear a description of an actual study that was recognized by the Ig Nobel Prize Committee, but we'll leave out one key variable. We will then ask you to name that missing variable. Admittedly, this will be a tough one which is why you will receive a whopping eight points if you get it correct. Otherwise, you will get a clue. If you get it right with one clue, you'll receive four points. If not, we'll give you one more clue. And if you get it right after the second clue, then you'll get two points. Are we ready to play this game? Ja, you're up first. Liz, I believe you're giving this clue. Miranda Jacoman and Nicholas Rule won the Psychology Ig Nobel Prize for devising a method to identify narcissists by examining their what? Saliva. Wow, what a good guess. It's not the correct answer, but could you imagine that would be quite a study? So that's when we move on to clue number one, Liz. The study examined facial features at large, but really focused in on this, or rather these. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go with their eyes. Not quite right. Liz, will you give the second clue? According to ChatGPT, the most common words used to describe this feature include arched, bushy, overplucked, and mono. Eyebrow. Very good, you got it. The researchers explored the facial features using a variety of manipulations, ultimately finding that accurate judgments of grandiose narcissism particularly depend on a person's eyebrows. So there we go. All right, so Marge, you're up next. I'm ready. Back in 2005, the prize in economics went to Gauri Nanda from MIT, who invented an alarm clock that would do what in order to ensure that the owner would indeed get out of bed. Blast music? It's not blast music, but it is a good guess. Trisha? Think of the old fire safety education three-step mantra. Drop you out of bed. Stop, drop, roll. I know that much. <laughs> so you've got the, <laughs> the substance of the clue. Let's just move on to the second clue, Trisha. Okay, okay. okay. Sorry, Olivia. Ready or not, here I come. Vibrates the bed? Other good guess. So actually what it does, the clock itself runs away and hides. <laughs> Clocky is a brand of alarm clock outfitted with wheels, allowing it to hide itself in order to force the owner awake in an attempt to go find it. Just to give you a sense of other things that uh, Ig Nobel Prize winners, um, 
The 2017 medicine winners discovered that if you have an itch on the left side of your body, you can relieve it by looking into a mirror and scratching the right side of your body. So Charles, let's review where we stand with the score so that we know who has won. All right, so it looks like we have a winner with three points over two points, and that winner is you, Marge. Congratulations. Lowe's game. Congratulations, Marge. Remind us who you're playing for. I am playing for Olivia Slashki. Congratulations, Olivia. Congratulations, Marge. I want to thank the two of you for being such good colleagues and such great <laughs> to come here on the game time segment and it really was an honor to have you on the episode thank you for playing and participating that was fun thank you thank you sorry max i want to thank my episode guests the off the clock team and all of you for listening by now i think you know that the brodsky college faculty are here on the clock dedicated to developing our students into confident and successful professionals and lifelong learners we are happy to be here off the clock to talk about it Thank you for listening, keep on learning, and have a great academic year. Thank you for joining us for the Off the Clock podcast here on 1077 The Bronx, the 2023 winner of the IBS Media Award for Best College Radio Station of the Year. And a special thanks goes to our hosts, Dr. Gene Kucher, our production staff, Trisha Adams, Liz Carrion, and Astu Ka, and everyone at the all-new digital broadcast studios of 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com including the incomparable John Moses. This is your OTC announcer, Charles Ray, saying see you next time when we can get together off the clock.